This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of this Muslim Girl podcast. This is going to be a part one of a two-part series that I have with my guest on this next episode. Um, the reason I wanted to split it up is one, because I don't want to have so many long episodes on my podcast, which I know has just been the nature of it, because me and my guests usually have a lot to talk about. Um, but I wanted to split this in half because I feel like the conversation in general is two topics that I think are important. I wanted to give them equal space. My guest is Fatma. Fatma is only 20 years old, which I think is probably the youngest guest or like co-host that I've had, I think. Um... And we had a really good conversation. Me and Fatma essentially sit and talk about the experiences of Muslim women. Um, she is Yemeni of Yemeni women. But what's unique about Fatma is that she actually grew up in a small town in North Carolina. And she's a current college student. And Fatma grew up in a predominantly non-Muslim area. And I feel like that's kind of a rare occurrence in in the sense that like most people I know and obviously myself grew up in a Muslim community and I also grew up in a Yemeni community so it's interesting to see her perspective and just the struggles that she experienced feeling kind of isolated and she felt like sharing her story would be beneficial to other people and so I had such a great conversation with her in private, so I really was happy to bring that onto the podcast for everyone else. As I mentioned, this is the first part of our conversation. In this episode, we mainly talk about identity and the struggle of being bullied for being Muslim or being brown or being Arab, and we have different experiences. I might not have had the experience of being around a lot of Muslims or Arabs in schools, but I did grow up in that community. For Fatima, it was different because she not only didn't have that within the greater community, but it obviously wasn't going to be um, that way at school and so she did face a lot of crisis and she talks about you know her depression and what she experienced and how that kind of translated into her relationship with the people in her life and on the second episode we talk about the journey of choosing Islam um, choosing to embrace and celebrate our identities and how different that journey has been and in, in to the point where we are in our lives and I say we because as she shares her experience and I share mine and I hope you guys uh, enjoy this episode and be on the lookout for part two coming out soon. Now let's jump right into the episode where I believe I start talking about a snack that I was eating as soon as we started the recording. I don't know if you are into like Yemeni sweets or Arab sweets but there's like a oh, for sure. Have you ever had the like tahini? We call it tahini, but it's like um like the sesame paste. Halawa. It's like a halawa, yeah. Yeah, I you love like that. it. Okay, so I took yeah. these from the office from like our snack bar. It's called tahini bar. I swear it tastes like it. Everyone needs to really? try it. Yes, it's literally called it's by the mighty sesame co. This is not sponsored. Um, but it has like cocoa nibs and the other one has pistachios, which is also really good. But it tastes like, and it's like flaky like it. And I'm just like, this is genius. But I just thought I'd have to mention that because I was eating it. Have you ever had mashabak? Yeah, I don't think I like that. I like the other types of halal. Really? There's Mashabak is like the one that has like that, like syrupy stuff on top, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not like a big syrup person, but I love um. It's called I don't know. I feel like in different regions they call. What, what part of Yemen are you from? Um, my family is from Breda. So different parts of Yemen have different ways of saying things, and like for me, um, being from Yuban, like we call things a certain way, and I don't know if it's like people will understand, but we call them ketketia. I haven't heard of that. That's the um or like madrub, but it's like the red. You know that like red buttery like flaky, thick halawa. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it has that? like, and there's like, I don't know, I just call them all halawa, halawa uh, like all of it. And then there's like the white one. There's many different types, but they're there all is. good. But I do not like mshabek, yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. I like <laughs> mshabek, but I really like, you know, like the halawa with like um, pistachios in it and like the tahin the in it. Yes. Yes, salam. I'm, I'm I'm not even joking. Like I'm gonna pull it out for you right now. Look, because I have another one. This is the one with the pistachios. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm gonna contact. Is it like them. like? Do you want to sponsor this episode? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've spent the first like five minutes talking about it. It's really good. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. Do you think I look Yemeni? Like I know we kind of talked about that on the phone a little bit. I think so. The thing is, is like Yemeni don't. I mean, Yemeni do have a very distinct look. I think. Uh, Obviously, like, there's similarities between different types of, like, Gulf Arabs. And then also, I think sometimes we can look a little Desi, which I feel like you kind of look a little Desi. Or we can look more East African. But I think right. if I was to see you, I would think, I think she's Yemenia. You would think so? Yeah, but I have a really good Yemeni radar. Like, I can see someone and be like, I'm pretty sure that person is Yemeni. I feel like I do have a pretty good Yemeni radar, too. But, like all my life like no one has ever guessed or like I don't know if people just don't really know he around where I live but like no well, one has ever guessed didn't you, know, you mention that you aren't in a community where there's a lot of Yemeni yeah like no community Zero. exactly so how would they know I mean do I look Yemeni too? right yes your eyes like your eyes look <laughs> like my brothers and like my little cousins yeah I think the eyes and the nose usually give it away but Again, I don't know. You know, one time I went into this Arabic store and it was owned by, I want to say like a Palestinian and me and my brother walked in, but we were wearing masks. And the first thing he said, and we weren't speaking Arabic, like we were just speaking English. And the first thing he said is like, oh, I'm from Yemeni. And I was like, yeah, how'd you know? And I went to this doctor one time, I was actually getting Botox and I was still also in a mask and he was Persian or something. And he was like, you're Yemeni, aren't you? And I'm like, how did you know that? He's like, I have a lot of Yemeni clients. And when they come, even with the mask, I can tell because of the eyes. Like, wow. Yeah, it's the eyes. Is it, it the so almond, crazy, though? almond shape? Hmm. Yeah, the almond shape. I, you know, it's so crazy, though. Even within the same family, like, we look so different. Like, you know what I mean? Like, But it's you so probably think that. Because yeah, I, I think, think yeah. so I think my family looks different. But when I talk to my friends, they say, no, like, all your nieces and nephews have that look like the like family look you might not think your family looks like but other people they might be like yeah you can definitely tell they're all related the dna there the dna is there um but you were talking about you not being recognized for being yemeni in your community and i know one of the things we've talked about before which we wanted to talk about in this podcast is about like growing up in that type of or right. I was going to say that type of community, but I would say lack of community and how that right. impacted you and how you grew up and how you had this perception of identity. Um, 
So what was that like growing up? Because you're what in your, you're barely 20, like early twenties. Yeah. I'm like maybe early twenties. Yeah. Mid twenties. Mid twenties. Some, some 20 yeah. some. <laughs> no, so, I'm 20 years old. No, I'm exactly 20. Uh, then why are you trying to grab more of the twenties? Like <laughs> you just turned 20, like embrace the right. beginning because it goes by very fast. Um, but yeah, what was that experience like? Cause I think that there's something to the fact that you are of like, like a lot younger than um, let's say even me. So maybe there's like a difference in our experiences as well, just because of like the age difference. When I like reflect and think about how I like look back on my life and just reflect in general, I really tie my experiences to my education because so much of my life is tied to being in school so I you know I associate my experiences with being in school like the when I first started elementary school I think that was the hardest thing for me because I was a pretty sheltered kid so I I didn't know what to expect me too girl and (laughs) whatever whatever my little mind had thought of it was complete opposite you know like and I was the only brown kid in my, well, my family, let's say, in our entire school, because we went to really small, you know, in the middle of, you know, the country, like a elementary school. And at first, I remember very vividly before I started school, like before my very first day of school, I remember very vividly my mother telling me, Okay, I was, she, I was about to get on the bus and, you know, my mom looks at me dead in the eyes and she goes, you know, Fatima, one thing, you have to remember this. Before you are ever, before you were ever American, you are Muslim and you are Arab. And to me, I, I got it, but I didn't really understand it. Like it didn't register, you know, like I really didn't know what that meant. And then when I started school, I never saw myself as different than anyone else until people started pointing out my differences. And it was, sometimes it almost even felt like, especially in elementary school, I was being interrogated. Like I had students ask me, oh, what church do you go to? And um, I would have people tell me, you know, if you're not baptized, you're going to hell or like stuff like, yeah. Like I remember, like it it was like my friends too. Like, I mean, I'm sure it was always at a place at a love but like, I remember a friend telling me, she was like, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. And I was like, uh, I don't know what to say. You know, like, it was just always, it always felt like, you know, it was like an interrogation, you know, like, I wasn't really a part of any group or anything, you know, it was just a separation type thing, you know. What, what, how did that make you feel, though, considering you were, I'm sure, very young? Yeah, I mean, it didn't feel too great, especially when it was the people who I considered my friends. But at the same time, like, I really recognized that it was never, there was never harm intentions. It was always at a place of love. Or ignorance, in a sense. Right, it was just, yeah, an ignorance is bliss type scenario. Like, and this one time in particular that really stood out to me, I had a friend over She was in my room and she looked at a picture of my grandfather from my mom's side in the family. And she goes, you know, no offense, Fatima, but he looks like a terrorist. (gasps) And honestly, like I had never even in my head ever, ever associated 
um, Arabs or Muslims with terrorism ever. And I was like in complete shock. But then like, I, you know, she was my friend, you know, like I couldn't say anything rude or anything. And I just was like, I think I remember telling her, you know, oh, you know, like, you know, what you may see in the media isn't exactly always true. And I really recognized that she wasn't saying this like to be hateful or spiteful. She was just, you know, ignorant. You know, she really had no idea. Was she trying to be funny? Like, was it? There I don't some think sort so. Of, okay. I think she was being like, gen- <laughs> she was probably being genuine. genuine like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, well, the thing is, is we wouldn't tolerate that type of comments as adults. I think obviously when you're younger, one, you don't know how to stand up for yourself, but also recognize right. that that's not right. Um, but someone who is young is probably also less likely, less likely to recognize that that's not an appropriate thing to ever, you know, say to anyone. Unfortunately, there's still adults that will say those types of things, but that's, I mean, that's going to have some sort of impact on your self and also the people around you. And so when you don't have a Yemeni community around you to share those experiences or like a Muslim or I actually I don't know is there was there a Muslim community around you or was it just that there was a non-Yemeni a non-Arab there was nothing there was one other family they were Palestine but other than that it was just it was just us yeah so did you ever feel like you didn't want to be Muslim or Arab or I mean the thing is right we can't like shed our skin so we are going to look the way that we do very Yemeni or very Middle Eastern or very brown but I know for myself like there was times where I just I tried to whitewash myself you know and it would have been cool to have been the girl with the blonde hair and the blue eyes and you know just fitting in did you ever feel like that oh 100 percent especially in middle school because um I did have that one Palestinian friend that went to my middle school that went to my middle school but she ended up moving and that was really difficult for me because mm-hmm. it was like I had, I kept on finding belonging and like people around me, like that one and like that one friend of mine. And when she moved, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm alone again. You know, there's no one here that can relate. Of course, there's my family, obviously, but you know, no one at school that can understand or relate. And so when she left, I was again just surrounded by white Americans who were oblivious and you know, didn't know any better than to ask silly questions and stuff like that. And it was really difficult because the friend group I did associate with started to, I wouldn't like make plans in front of me and just, I was almost isolated in a sense. Yeah, just not include me. And then in my brain, I like, I told myself, okay, it's because I'm Muslim. And I was like, okay, what what all do they have? that I don't have. Okay, well, one, I'm Muslim and they know I'm Muslim. So it's that, it's the color, it's because of the color of my skin. And that was really impactful or really harmful to me because I, be- I became really depressed af- after that. And I was so rejectful and neglectful of my culture, which looking back now, like I wish I was able to even embrace it when I was more younger, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I was just, I didn't find any solidarity in Islam. And I just was so ashamed to, you know, talk about it or even like acknowledge it at times, you know? 
I think that's such a common thing for people to experience. And unfortunately, it's not like it's something we can say um, phases out like over the years. I mean, it might in your own life, but you might have a younger sister who ultimately experiences the same thing because it's just a phase of, you know, those young, hard years where you're just trying to fit in and people can be really ruthless. Like little kids can be really ruthless and they might not like use strong language, but like not including you or inviting you into things where everyone else is and feeling secluded and isolated is not the best feeling. Um, but I was going to ask you, like, because I'm curious, how did how did your parents decision or like style of raising you guys change seeing that they aren't in a Muslim or Arab community? Because from what I find is that the, the stronger the Yemeni community or the Muslim community you're in, sometimes the more conservative families can be but maybe it could also be the opposite because they are so you know isolated from the community they feel like they have to be even more strict or or you know conservative because they have to make up for the lack of you know the masjid and the friends that you could make and the after school program or the sunday school or whatever it is was that was were they more strict or like less strict because of it I would say more strict, but I guess it depends on like what we're talking about. But in general, I would say more strict, especially, well, it more strict on culture than religion, though, because I feel I feels like that our, our or my parents in general or just my family didn't want us to become you know so. I guess separated from our culture, you know, and and because of that, there was a lot of times where I didn't know the difference between religion and culture. I just, just put them together, which is so wrong. And, you know, they're so very different. Like, um, like the men eating first or just, you know, little things like that. Like I would think, oh, that's, that must be Islam. You know, like I didn't know any better. And I get, at the same time, you know, I really, I didn't realize this, you know, growing up. And now when I look back and reflect, it's, it's like that, like especially like my mom it's not like she was trying to raise us in a time like in the in the culture Yemen is now it's like she was kind of like stuck in time for whenever mm -hmm. she was in Yemen you know you know there's like an actual theory slash name for that I forgot what it is I'll try to send it to you it's on Instagram but it's actually very common with immigrant families where let's say you leave your country where you were born and raised like our parents let's say let's say they left in 1990 which my dad left in like the 70s or I think yeah the 70s and they come to the U.S. they are stuck in Yemen 1970 or 1990 or whatever it is and as Yemen is progressing and things are changing and women are becoming more you know part of the community and more educated they don't know that and so here they're living up to those standards of the 1990s so like you said they're pretty much stuck in time yeah and that's such an interesting thing because i've never thought about that before where you were base or you're basically holding yourself back because i know families here where they were very constricting on their daughters and their own cousins back home had more freedom and were more progressive and more educated than them here because even Yemen was changing, but like they were still stuck in their old ways here. But yeah, anyways, it's just, that's such an interesting concept. And there's like a whole 
study of it, which I really want to get into um, more. But like, what what other things do you think that they were more strict about? Because you are a college student and um, right. you commute to school, correct? Right, I commute. Yeah, so, so that's something that's not very, I guess, sometimes accepted in the culture. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. Whenever. Since I'm I'm the youngest sibling. So, and I'm oh, very you You're the baby. So that sister. means you're spoiled. <laughs> yeah. I'm the baby. And I will 100% like admit, like, it was a lot more difficult for my sister because, like, initially, our family had told her okay, you're not going to college and to, at all. like at all. And, you know, she's three years older than me. And that was like soul crushing, heart crushing, you know, like I was like, you know, cause I had dedicated my life to being such a good student. And it was basically, I didn't do anything. I didn't do any extra, at least, especially when I was younger, I wasn't involved in anything extra. It was just school, you know? So I, of course I was trying to do my best as a student and to hear that, like, it was so devastating. And my sister, when she was a senior in high school, whenever our family, because, you know, she was applying to colleges and stuff like that. And um, when our family had initially told her that, like, she just gave up. Like, she didn't put in any more effort into, you know, her senior year. And, but eventually our family did come around to the idea of, her commuting to school, you know, so alhamdulillah for that. And I'm so thankful for what she had to do to make it easier for me to commute. And, and, you know, like, I feel like our, our, like our parents or just immigrant children are just so, I guess, scared to do things that are new or at least new to them. Yeah. So sometimes they need like a little, a little push you know to tell me you know it, it'll, it's a okay lot of push too <laughs> yeah it's like it's okay it'll be all right well I think at the very I've talked about this a, a few different times on the podcast but like trying to understand a parent's mindset um and I know some people might disagree because they might say well it's not my responsibility to like teach them or educate them or you know this is my life and I think there's ways about going you know there, there's ways to go about working through and navigating that relationship with your parents. And it also depends on like, what does that foundation look like? If you have a really good foundation with your parents and you have a good relationship, it'll be somewhat easier to navigate those conversations. And like you said, push a little because there's already a relationship 
there to begin with. So that open communication maybe is not as hard. Now, if you come from a little bit of a broken family or broken relationships, then those, those conversations can be hard because you don't even have that relationship to begin with. And my take though, and I guess just for what's worked for me is, you know, you have to try to think about, okay, well, why are they reacting this way? Why are they acting this way? And trying to see like, then how am I going to change my approach? Because if it's fear, how can I remove some of those fears? Maybe if I remove some of those fears by exposing them to it, they would be able to feel more comfortable. So maybe taking them on the drive and saying, look, this is where the school is and this is how far it is. Or if you're moving to a dormitory, showing them where the dorms are and showing them that they're, you know, just females or whatever it is that seeing it can just remove so much fear and allow them to kind of, I don't know, open up to the idea more than this ignorance and like blindness that they have to this idea, especially like, I don't know about your mom, but my mom, not educated, not a very independent woman. So for her daughters to go a complete 180 from what her experience was, I'm not even sure sometimes she knows how to be by our side because we're essentially leading most of the time. Like we've, bec we've come so far from where she is. So it's not like I go to my mom for advice on like, Hey, I'm like having trouble with this, you know, class or work is really stressful. My boss is acting this way or whatever, because she won't know how to advise me, but she can tell me, you know, you know, have patience and I'll make do have for you and like her own way of doing things. Um, so it's, I mean, to each their own and everyone's going to have a different way. Oh, 100%. I agree. And I think it's so important to realize, like, it's so important to see your parents as people and not just your parents. Mm -hmm. Like, for, for a long time, I just saw my parents as, okay, that was, those are my parents. I never saw them as individuals that have their own, you know, things going on and as their own people. You know, I just saw them as I just saw them as individuals in relationship to me. You know, I never thought of them as having their own lives. Like what? No way. Yeah. You know, and they have their own like past as well. And oh, their own parents that they have a relationship with and everything else. So it's, it's like I said, it's quite interesting. So you mentioned about like dealing with depression and all of that stuff. And I think it's, I don't know. I want to get into that more because you know me, I love talking about mental health and I think, you know, young girls, I have nieces and nephews, and I think people still struggle with this, unfortunately, like I said, even till today, and there's still the bullying towards Muslim kids when it comes to their religion, their ethnicity, the color of their skin, um, even sometimes like the occupations that their parents have, like if they own a, own a gas station or a corner store or a convenience store, and you know, the stereotypes that come with it, that's an easy way to haha make fun of someone. Um, or for example, if you have really curly hair or like big nose or like darker skin. And so I can see how that could take a toll on youth. And unfortunately, it's like really, really sad and disheartening to see how much, how many little kids that I'm talking about very young are learning, not learning about suicide, but like have went to that extent where they've either attempted or completed, like, self-harm and that just breaks my heart because we as adults even though like I can sit there and be like well I remember when I was young and how that felt but like sometimes we as adults might never think that such a young kid would go to that extreme because oh they're just you know messing with you don't let it get get to you and then you just imagine that you'll just turn on the cartoons and that for you know their problems are going to go away but there's kids who 
avoid school and fake being sick and do all of these things just because they don't want to have to face the next day with their bullies to the point where they're having to hurt themselves in order to avoid it. Like there's, I mean, there's so much to say that the fact that they can't open up to their family or that the schools aren't doing enough for them to say, like, there's so many things that they could have done, but that they're, they felt like their only resort was to just end it. Like that, how do I end this pain? It's to end my own life rather than to say like, I'm going to go talk to my parents so that they can advocate for me to stop this or that their parents would take it serious enough to either approach the school and, and, and escalate the problem or, you know, maybe even homeschool them or I don't know, put them in another school. But like, there's so many, so many steps that could have been taken. And that child, yeah. for whatever reason, felt that way. It's, it's sad. It is sad. And I feel like in my experience, like I couldn't, I didn't have the guts or courage to like, you know, sit with my mom and be like, hey, there's something really wrong going on with me. I, I couldn't do that to her. And I mean, so I, why? I said no. why? is it because you don't think she would understand or is it because you were scared that she would be worried about you? Uh, both. For, I don't, I don't think she understood. I mean, she knew something was wrong with me because my depression became to a point where it wasn't just mental. It became physical as well. Like, um, like in the morning, I mean, I don't think my mom ever knew this, but like in the mornings before I went to school, like I would throw up every morning because I was so anxious and so nervous. Wow. Yeah, I love, like, I love school. And like, I love being at school, but it was just constantly being around people who made me feel so different and so isolated. And it's not like I wasn't heavily bullied. Like I had people that loved me. I know that. Like I wasn't heavily bullied or anything, but I just felt so alone and different during those times. I just, it, it ruined, it didn't ruin my educational experience, but it really, it really made me feel not good. It really, it was just really bad. But that's like such a and big I, thing that you mentioned. Like the fact that you would throw up in the morning, I think that that's, that to me, that is like kind of ruining it because you might've still came out with good grades and some yeah. good memories, but like how unfortunate is that like you had to still experience such, you know, anxiety before school? Oh yeah, it was, yeah, it was still pretty unfortunate. It is, but <laughs> it, <laughs> I don't want to like, you know, like play it down or anything, but I just, I remember like coming home from school and just not wanting to do anything. I would just want to lay down in bed. Like Mm -hmm. that's all I would want to do. Like I want to sleep all the time. And like my mom would ask me, oh, you know, Fatima, go, you know, like go like, you know, clean the kitchen or something or go outside and do this or that. And I would be like, I can't, I'm too tired. I, I just, I can't. And I would just constantly give that answer to my mom. So she definitely knew like, she was, she was just like, Fatima, you're, you're always tired, you know? I, so I know she wouldn't really understand it because mental health isn't really talked about. Mm-hmm. At least I can't really say in a community because, you know, I didn't grow up in one, but in my family, it just wasn't really acknowledged or anything. And I guess I was just, I didn't want to disappoint my mom. You know, I didn't want her to think, you know, like, Alhamdulillah, you know, we, you know, we have everything that we need. You know, I wouldn't, why would you be depressed? You know, you exactly. have everything you need. You know, I wouldn't want her to feel like I wasn't thankful or grateful for anything, you know? So I guess that's like a main reason why I didn't want to tell her. And, but of course, like I felt more comfortable sharing with my sister and she was, I'm, I'm sure she just always tried her best, you know, like to cheer me up and to make me 
I guess, feel less alone or isolated. But it only might, I think my depression only really changed whenever I had a change of environment. So this was like, when I started um, high school, my depression got better because I was around new people, new school. So I would really recommend and encourage people that, you know, if they're going into a similar situation like that, you know, just try to change your environment. And if, if you can't change schools or anything, I know that's like a really big thing that you just can't always do, you know, mm -hmm. maybe change something like smaller, like maybe, I don't know, rearrange your room or, or um, change your style or just, you know, start small. Yeah, I rearrange my room all the time. <laughs> but yeah, also it could just be do. people like join other clubs and, and meet other people because changing people can sometimes help and having um, better friends. Do you think you recognized that it was depression when you were young or is that something that you learned as you got older? Like, oh, well, that's what was wrong with me. Yeah, well, I knew I was sad, but I wouldn't, I was like, I would never have said that I had depression, you know, like I just kept it to myself. I would just think, I just thought that I was just going through it. <laughs> like, I didn't think that I had depression or anything, you know, I don't, I didn't even, you know, acknowledge it or recognize it to myself. But I, you know, the first step is always acceptance. And of course I yeah. wasn't doing that. And, and I know you mentioned about your mom because my mom is the same way. Like if I was to explain maybe something I'm going through to her it's like and I think it's that mindset of living or growing up maybe in poverty and I don't know what your parents situation were but like my family lived pretty well like in the village but like in comparison to here it's still third world country it's still in poverty like it's still impoverished and so my mom like not only did she live in a small village in which there wasn't a lot of like resources and things were still so like super old school but there was a war and there was a, a, a point in time where, you know, there was inflation and like they couldn't get access to like food and gas and kind of similar to how it is right now. So my mom, I think, experienced that. I think it probably was very traumatic as seeing she was a mother at that time. My dad was, I think, here in the U.S. But to her, I think the way that she measures what would be sad or like unfortunate and what is fortunate is different than what is sad or fortunate slash unfortunate for me. So bullying or people's words to her, that's like, a, you know, bulls, it's yeah, like Adi, like ignore it. It's just words. Um, because to her, she's like, you, you have food on the table. You have, you know, a healthy body. Your family is healthy. You have a car, you can drive, you're independent. Like all of these things that she's just like, what are you talking about? Your glass is half full. But from my perspective and what I'm experiencing, because my, my standards are different, right? Because my, my like basic idea, like to me, what I'm experiencing, alhamdulillah, like I'm very grateful for, but it's to my mom, it's like up here because this is where she came from, right? For me, like I kind of grew up here a little bit more privileged. So I'm more like up here. So I, I don't really see myself as like, oh my God, there's, living in this environment and seeing what people have sometimes it can corrupt the way that we view what we have and like well I want more or I don't have as as much or whatever but when we talk about being young and feeling isolated and, and struggling with our identity which I think our parents don't really get to experience they come here a lot older and I don't even know how much they care to fit in they just care to like be st have stability raise their kids and be safe Whereas for us, like we're going through a million different things in our minds, like 
what do I identify as? Like, what, you know, am I happy being Muslim? Can I change it? Am I happy being Arab? Can I change it? And so all of those things, they do hit really hard for us and they are very harmful. And so, of course, when we try to mention it to them, it might not connect. And I always think about, inshallah, when I have kids, like how I want to be a lot more open and have that like open, you know, relationship with them so that they can come and talk to me. And I think even as modern or like progressive as I can be, my kids still might have a different experience to where they might approach me about a situation and say, hey, mom, like this bothers me or this is causing me a lot of anxiety or sadness. And I have to sit there and think, even if I don't think it's worth it, or I think like, really, you have to be able to be empathetic to understand because that is their truth. And maybe it is a simple fix because words of encouragement might, might help, but it's something I have to think about because it is a struggle that I have with trying to sometimes express things to my mom. I just know she won't. There's just things that I don't think she'll ever understand. And it's just because we grew up very differently. I think that if my mom had created a space where I could share stuff like that for her or to her, it would be more easier to express like my depression. And even though like, I like, even though if she wasn't ever going to be able to understand it, if she can like acknowledge it, you know, and like talk through it, that would be, that would mean more than anything than just, you know, actually understanding it, you know? So do you think because they maybe didn't grow up with that space to even know to make that space? Because again, I think sometimes relationships can be not surface level, but like kind of transactional in some families where it's like, you're the mom, I'm the daughter, you're going to make me food and I'm going to clean and you're going to give me time to study and tell me to study. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to provide good grades and make you proud. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, a back and my mom forth. Will yeah, my mom always says something like, "Inti um, binti and I'm bintish," you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you're not my daughter. I mean, you're my daughter. I'm not your daughter. Um, right. Again, it's it's an interesting, I don't know, dynamic. Your mom has this view of your relationship, and you have your own view of what you would want that relationship to be. I think we're a lot more sensitive. Like we want more than just providing the basic necessities like we have emotional needs and you know what's funny is like I think our moms have emotional needs as well but again I don't think that they necessarily grow up understanding that they can express it so they just say like oh I can't be too needy I can't right they don't know how to express it right and and because they don't necessarily see a need for it the way that we do it's not as important to them as it is you know for us but I don't know. I think I'm, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a complicated. You know, it is complicated, but you know, what's so interesting about my mom is that although like during the time that I was depressed, I, I don't think she understood it, but as time got on, I think she went through her own form. I don't think she would have called it depression, depression, but I think she went through her own depression. And I think that made her understand me more that when I was, you know, younger, you know, so I feel like my mom has came a long way. Yeah. I mean, that's that's good to hear that she was able to maybe relate to you more. And hopefully, like, you guys have that space now where you can talk, or is that not still? Mm, well, <laughs> it's a work in progress. Work in pro- well, as long as it's a work in progress, and that's, you know, that's, it's, it's a good thing. What about your dad? Is there any relationship like that with your dad? Or, Well, 
my dad has a lot of medical problems so like he's he's there but mentally he's not there like he kind of has like pre-onset dementia and like just he's like a medical mystery really so we didn't really have a type of relationship where I can like express things to him like that but I'm sure like I mean I can say anything to him but it's not like he would be able to register it or understand it completely or fully you know has he been like this your whole life or was this something more recent Oh, it's been pretty much my whole life. Like sometimes like growing up, I have felt that I took care of him more than he took care of me Mm -hmm. because of, you know, like all of his, you know, health problems and whatever. And I think when I was younger, like I, I didn't hate him, but I didn't, I could, I wouldn't say I loved him when I was younger simply because I just didn't understand like his health concerns and issues. Mm -hmm. But like now that I'm older, I like, I love my dad so much, you know, like I would do anything for that man. And mm-hmm. he, he's so sweet. He's just so sweet. Like, I can look absolutely terrible. And he'd be like, you look so pretty today. Like, Aww. he's just so nice and kind, even though like, I can't like express, you know, what I'm going through to him. Like, I know that he's like, always like supportive, maybe not the way that I would have wanted, but in like the ways that he can. Yeah, it's, it's a unique relationship. And I think mm-hmm. you probably don't get the traditional father-daughter relationship that a lot of people have. No, but I'm like really close with my grandpa. And like, I feel like he's like a second dad to me, really. Uh-huh. And is he, he, is I feel he like he- In the US as well? He does live in the US. But like growing up, he like he was kind of back and forth between here and Yemen, you know? Mm-hmm. But like since, since the war started, he's been here. Have you ever been to Yemen? I have been to Yemen and I went to Yemen when I was in elementary school and that trip, it was for like the whole summer, that trip literally changed everything that I ever knew and would ever know. And I didn't know at the time, like when I went, how much it would impact me today and who I am and like what I want to do, like in my future, like I had, so I had no idea. I was so oblivious. So what was that change or transition? Because you obviously struggled growing up with, you know, bullying and idea of like self-esteem, not self-esteem, sorry. Well, I guess in a sense, yeah, but like self-identity, self-esteem with like how you fit in with other people. And then also just like the kind of unique relationship that you have with your parents uh, that most people probably have with their parents is, you know, children of immigrants. We don't really get that like sensationalized relationship with our parents and get to be super open and emotional. Um, and I know you talked about like being depressed and also be wanting to fit in or whitewash yourself. Like how did, how long did that last? Like, when did you start transitioning into, I don't know, feeling like more accepting, accepting more of who you are in your identity? Yeah. So when I went to Yemen, um, it wasn't really like, it was, it was kind of a sense that you felt Mm, you know you're you're the American you're not really Yemeni Mm -hmm. and like whenever you're in America it's like oh you're not really American you know you're foreign so I wouldn't say it 100% helped like growing up like because you're just stuck in this state of in between like you Mm -hmm. know like and like I remember when I got back from Yemen I was like in second grade and before we left Yemen like we I had Hana like all over like my arms and hands and I was so ashamed and embarrassed and I would wear the same pink jacket every day and like 
try to hide my hands because I didn't want anyone to see it because I was I didn't want people to interrogate me any more than they did mm-hmm. and you know I don't know it just it took a while really for me to I guess embrace um, being Muslim and just embrace being you know Yemeni because I was just always around people who made me feel like I couldn't express that side of me, you know, like, like, I remember one time I brought food to like lunch and it was, I can't, it was maybe like food or something like that. And, you know, the remarks weren't that positive, you know, stuff like that just pushed me further away. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Please be sure to catch part two if it's not already up. If it's not up, please be on the lookout and follow This Muslim Girl on Instagram, Twitter, anywhere online that I exist in order to see um, any latest updates and when the next episode will be uploaded. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.